Hey everyone, I'm Yasmin Nori, and you're listening to the Behind Her Empire podcast. I'm on a mission to showcase successful self-made women who share honest stories and lessons of what it really takes to create the life you want and build your own empire. If you've been listening to the show, you know, just like you, I've been on my own personal journey to build my empire. I've recently started a new business called Bia that helps women tackle their period problems and hormonal imbalances using a natural whole foods approach. If you're suffering from bad cramps, irregular periods, fatigue, bloating, stay tuned because a little bit later in the podcast, I'll share a bit more about my company Bia. But for now, let's jump into today's episode. I want to welcome this week's guest, Mandana Diani, to our show today. Mandana is the creator and co-founder of I Am A Voter, a national nonpartisan voting organization, and was most recently president of Archwell, the production, audio, and philanthropic company founded by Prince Harry and Meghan, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. In 2018, immediately upon witnessing the child separation policy at the border, Mandana brought together 20 incredible women around the table to launch I Am A Voter. Since launching, the organization has generated billions of media impressions and has partnered with hundreds of brands shaping culture across entertainment, fashion, beauty, tech, and sports. Mandana began her career as a corporate attorney at Paula Hastings. She then worked as a commercial talent agent before joining Rachel Zoe Inc., where she had led and launched the company's consumer products, media, and strategic investment businesses. And after six years, Mandana switched her career again and joined Everything But The House as chief brand officer, raising $84 million in venture capital. In our episode today, Mandana shares how she's been able to have multiple career pivots and reinvent herself, moving from law to fashion and then to tech. We also talk about her childhood in Iran during a time of war and how it's impacted her drive to make a meaningful impact on the world. We also talk about the importance of setting boundaries, overcoming people-pleasing tendencies, trusting your intuition and how to build that muscle and so much more. Welcome to the show, Mandana. Hi, this is so fun. This is going to be a fun one. I really admire your very windy career journey. So this, I know a lot of women listening in today are going to pull a lot of inspiration from you. But I'd actually love to start with something that your mentor, Shannon Watts, shared with you. And it was pretty important advice and definitely resonated with me. And she told you, if you wait until you know everything to start something, you will never start anything. So tell us what that advice has meant to you over the years. That has been applicable in so many different parts of my life. I I mean, I asked her that when I was starting, I'm a voter. And I really believed that there was an opportunity to reimagine civic engagement. And I was like, you know, that feeling where you're just like, put me in coach, put me in coach. I was bursting with like passion and ideas. And I just kept looking at something and feeling like there was something missing. And I knew what needed to get done. I didn't I knew very much that I wasn't going to be the one that was going to necessarily do it or figure it out entirely, but I knew like the people I wanted to help. I knew like what ultimately needed to be put out into the world at that point. And I spoke with Shannon, by the way, just even getting Shannon on the phone. I mean, now she's one of my closest friends, which is funny. But at the time I was like, to me, she was like the biggest celebrity. Oh, really? I thought she was the coolest person. Yeah. We were actually on vacation and my best friend, Deborah Messing, and I were talking and she was asking, you know, like, if you could ask anyone for like, who, who could we ask? And I was like, I don't know, Shannon Watts, but how are we going to get her on the phone? And then Deborah, I guess, sent her a message on Twitter anyways. And then Shannon just it. called me like three days later. I was at the airport and I like dropped my bags. My kids were running around and I just, <laughs> I was like, and then we got on the phone and I was like telling her so much about 
what I wanted to build, what my vision was, the people that I believed I, you know, could come to the table. And I was just very honest. I don't know anything about civic engagement. I've never worked in politics. I don't really know this space at all. And I, you know, just, she looked at me and said, you know, she had a very similar journey with creating Moms Demand Action and, you know, just gave me that advice. And, you know, it's weird because it tracks so much with the other points in my career. Like Mm -hmm. I always felt that I dove into jobs that I really had no experience in or expertise in, but I knew that I would do whatever it took to figure it out. And I was, oh, I liked learning. I liked the immersion. And honestly, looking back on my career, I feel like the fact that I was always a bit of an outsider helped me. I feel like I was able to enter these industries with a very outside perspective on, you know, that doesn't make sense or that feels inefficient or why haven't you connected these dots, which really helped. And I think when I get scared, I get really excited. And so that always tracked for me. I love it. And it's true. And we'll get into your story today, but whether it's from going for you being a lawyer to fashion to tech to then, like you said, getting more involved politically, like you have this inner confidence of knowing that your hard work will help you just kind of figure it out, which I appreciate because I think a lot of people kind of wait until they're ready or they know enough. And it's like, you got to just jump and you'll kind of learn on the go. And if you are willing to show up, have an open mind, meet people, get advice, like you can figure it out, which is why I really admire your story. But I'd love to actually start from the very, very early days of life growing up. I know, actually, I did not know this before I did prep about you. I didn't know you were actually born in Iran and you were really living there during a time of war. So tell us maybe what that was like and maybe some of the earliest memories that you had. Oh, you know, it's crazy how much of that experience I had suppressed. And, you know, with the the revolution that started several months ago in Iran, seeing so much of my homeland, I hadn't like, I just had avoided it because it was so painful. And then seeing women that look like me and little girls that look like my girls and myself and hearing my language and like pictures of my homeland, just so much came back to me. Being born in Iran and leaving was hard. You know, I think it was a very scary time. Like I I very much remember, you know, the sirens because for the bombings and having to hide and having to have all of our lights off and, you know, just the morality police and how scary Mm. they were. All of that felt really scary. And I remember just leaving abruptly, very abruptly, and then arriving in New York, which was so scary. You know, when you just show up somewhere and you don't understand the language, you don't understand the people, and there's all these bright lights and cars and noises, and it was just so intimidating. But I weirdly just knew because I had my family, we would figure Mm. it out. You know, I think so many years later, what pushed me to start I'm a Voter was that parallel. You know, I had my second daughter was born, and I, I was on parental leave, and I was in bed with her, and I watched for the first time, the footage of the child separation happened. And it just brought so viscerally back the memory of like holding my mom's hand and being like, we're going to be okay because my mom's here. And knowing whatever these refugees have gone through to get to this point that our country would intentionally separate children from their parents that they would lose some of these children, orphan some of these children, that we were treating luggage better than we were treating these people who had just endured like the most painful experiences. I just 
I can't explain to you, but every part of me just fell apart. And I got on a plane and I went to Torneo, Texas, where the first camp was. And was just like, I was like, I have to see. I don't know how to explain it, but I could not believe it. I could not believe that the country that saved my life could also do this. And that really began the journey of how do we bridge the division and what feels so divisive in our country right now? But yeah, so we moved to New York. And then a few years later, my dad got a phone call from his cousin that said, Beverly Hills had the best public schools. And so my dad <laughs> got borrowed some money, flew, got on an airplane, came to Los Angeles with like an envelope of cash because we had no credit and just walked the perimeter of Beverly Hills to find an apartment that was like the cheapest apartment that existed and found a landlord that just would let us pay cash without any credit. And then eventually me and my brother and my mom flew out here and kind of started over again. But yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. You know, I actually didn't know why there were so many Iranians. I mean, I'm in LA. We're both in LA. So I didn't know if maybe yeah. it's public schools that got us all based here. <laughs> but, you know, I was like, why LA? But, and, you know, outside the good weather, you know, and I appreciate you kind of just sharing those details of that. And I'm sure even seeing what's going on in Iran is also unpacking so much for so many Iranians. Like even my mom, you know, they left right before the revolution. And it's kind of like, I don't have any ties to Iran. I don't believe in what's going on. And with everything that's been happening, it's really uncovered so many things for so many Iranians, including myself. And I was even born here. So I appreciate you just even sharing that. And, you know, it seems like even from a young age with you moving here, you've always had this mission that you wanted to change the world. And you are doing <laughs> that now. But where do you think that came from? Because for a young, you know, daughter of immigrants and a young woman to say that is pretty profound. I think that I felt like my life was a series of really great luck. I always was very aware of the sacrifices my parents made. You know, my mom gave up all of her career ambitions to stay home and teach us English and, you know, help us assimilate. You know, my dad loved his career and had to figure out an entirely new one and work endless jobs. I knew how many people didn't get to leave and I felt so much gratitude that I just was like given the good fortune of being able to come here and start over. And I, I think part of it was feeling like, okay, I can't mess this up, but also somehow I have to tip the balance, you know, the other direction and help other people that didn't necessarily have the same luck yet. And that was a really big part of my consciousness of just this desire to pay back and to feel like, and to never lose that appreciation for how lucky I was. And I still feel that way. I feel that way all the time. I'm really just, I think, inherently very curious about people. Like I want to understand people. I want to understand where they came from. Service for me started at such a young age. And I, I mean, a part of it was selfish. Like it just felt really good. You know, I felt like when I was doing those things, I was like very much in my own body. I, I loved the feeling of giving back. And honestly, and this was something I learned so early on, I loved the people that I met. Mm. And I think that that becomes such an important part of activism is it really helps you find your people. It helps you find people that are passionate about the same things because like you kind of ended up at the same place on the same day. And I don't know, I think it really aligned purpose and people. And I think those are the two things that always feel the most critical in figuring out during your life. Absolutely. And yeah, it's interesting because when you did move to America, you were quite older. You were around six, right? So, or were you younger? Yeah. yeah. I'm trying to remember. I think I was six like, when we moved like- to New York and then I was like 
I don't even know how old I was when we came to LA, but yes. Yeah. I mean, old enough to have memories that you're moving, Mm -hmm. to have that gratitude, to have that awareness of like, wow, I'm so lucky to have left a country that was war-torn to be somewhere where there is freedom. And, you know, I'm curious, there's so many immigrant families that come here for a better life, right? And they sometimes have certain expectations for their kids to really make that American dream and make it here. So I'm curious, how did you handle maybe those expectations growing up and any advice you have for women who might be going through, you know, similar expectations now? I mean, I was very much raised with like, you can be a lawyer or a doctor. And my brother became a surgeon and I just did not want to do any of those things. So I went to law school and I practiced law and then realized that that wasn't for me. It took me a very long time in my life to understand that what my parents were trying to do was Mm -hmm. give me safety because they knew that those jobs are established, that they don't go away, that they survive recessions and economic downturns, and that no matter what happens, they would be giving me the gift of stability. I didn't understand that. I, I really, for a long time, struggled with like, why were all these expectations being forced on me? And I think when you understand the context of like these people had such unstable lives, most of them fled here or moved here because of some reason that they were you know, leaving their homelands. Then it was, I was able to kind of take a step back and be like, okay, what does give me that stability and that security? What makes me feel safe? And then I was much more able to take risks and pivot and kind of release some of, not the shame, but just that feeling of my family that I think was harder to process when I was younger. At the end of the day, like, and I say this all the time, I think if you're willing to work really hard, if you're willing to learn and take risks, I don't really think there's nothing you can't do. There's no reason why if you work in finance, you can't move into another career or accounting. Like it doesn't matter. It's all the same. I mean, ultimately it's the same. Obviously like you can't just wake up and be a doctor, but, (laughs) (laughs) but within a certain spectrum, like there's so much that you can do and pivot and very organic ways to leverage what you're good at. And I think taking a step back and really saying like, I understand this is my job. But what am I actually really good at? Where do I really feel like I'm thriving? When and do I feel like I'm really inside my own body? And when you think about the context of what feels good and what feels right, when do you really feel like you're really sharing your unique gifts? Mm. What do people really gravitate towards you for? Those kinds of skills can apply to so many different things. Hey everyone, it's Yasmin here. I wanted to tell you a quick story. Before I started this podcast, I was working extremely long and crazy hours in banking and then in tech. I was totally burnt out, not living my truth and dreaming of always building my own empire. With all of this stress, it came really debilitating periods from bloating, cramping, extreme breast tenderness and really unpredictable moods. I would always complain to my friends that I was literally out of commission for at least a week every single month. And that adds up to three months in every year. Other than feeling frustrated that my really bad periods were keeping me from pursuing my actual goals, I knew that something wasn't right. Women are not inherently designed to suffer every single month. That's when I learned about hormonal imbalances. I started working with functional medicine doctors who told me that years of stress combined with taking birth control pills long-term created a cascade of hormonal damage in my body. This is why I felt bloated, tired, crampy, and moody before and throughout my period. They recommended I try something called seed cycling. And let me tell you, it's changed my life. 
Seed cycling is the simple process of using food as medicine to naturally support your hormones. It uses four different types of seeds, yes, actual seeds, throughout your menstrual cycle to support the balance of hormones like progesterone and estrogen and give your body critical nutrients it needs to achieve your best health. Within weeks of starting this process, I noticed major shifts in my period and my overall health. But I also noticed that seed cycling is actually kind of hard to do. I wanted the best quality seeds freshly ground in the right amount, but it was very time consuming. So I decided to create a simple and effective way for anyone to start seed cycling today using the highest quality organic seeds in the right amounts with the right support. It's called Bia, and I'm so excited to bring it to you. Now anyone struggling with hormonal imbalances can easily incorporate seed cycling into their busy schedule with the Bia Seed Cycling Bundle. This process has been life-changing for me. I no longer deal with cramps, bloating, breast tenderness, or any other PMS symptoms before my period. It's been a complete game changer, and it's allowed me to focus on things that matter most to me, like this podcast and building my own empire. And most importantly, I want this for you too. If you or anyone you know has been struggling with hormonal imbalances or bad periods, go to beawellness.com slash free. Once again, it's beawellness.com slash free to download our free guide to our top tips in tackling hormonal imbalances and to learn more about our seed cycling bundle. We included this link in the show notes along with a promo code for $10 off for all of our Behind Her Empire listeners. I know you're going to love seed cycling just as much as I do. Thanks for listening. And now let's get back to the show. And I'm just chuckling because I was in the world of finance and then I went into tech and so many people were like, what, why are they going to hire you? And I pivoted now enough to realize everything you said is completely valid. Like with hard work, really understanding your skills, learning from other people, networking, like it is so easy to kind of jump through different spheres. If you have that passion and curiosity, which you talked about earlier in the podcast. So I totally believe in that. But I always feel like that first job, you know, for you, it was leaving corporate and taking that leap. That first leap is always so tough. The ones later in life become a little bit easier. But how did you, you know, gain that level of awareness that you realized pretty young in your journey in law that you don't want to live these expectations of your parents. And there's a different way of living and a different way of building your career that allowed you to step out. Was it someone you met? Like, how did you gain that awareness? I mean, when I was practicing law, I, it didn't feel right. Like I didn't look at anyone and want their jobs. I didn't feel like anyone understood me, you know, and you kind of can just tell when this is not where you're supposed to be. The irony is like, I didn't really know what jobs existed. I think that also happens a lot when you live in these immigrant communities, which is like, everyone kind of has the same jobs. And so before I even knew what I wanted to do, I was always very self-aware. I think I was very clear on what I was good at but I didn't even know where it applied. I didn't really understand other jobs. And my husband now, who actually, I think we were just dating at the time, but said, I think you should just meet with people and ask them what they do for a living. And so I kind of just did that. I For about a month and a half, I sent people emails who I thought had the coolest jobs. And I sat with them and I was like, what do you do on a Tuesday? You know, <laughs> someone who's an editor at a magazine, you don't like edit paper all day. What do you, what is your actual job? And I didn't realize how much I needed to learn about just what different positions exist and what people do and what makes them good at their jobs. And I would sit in these meetings and I, there were some that I just was like, Oh my God, I would be terrible at this. This feels really foreign to me, or I don't know that I want to advance to this. And then 
I did a lot of licensing as an attorney. I, I really like on massive hospitality brands. I'd always loved the concept of brands, what they are, what they mean, what like I, and fashion to me was something I loved, but I was always taught was a hobby and it was not a job. And I had drinks with a guy who was a talent agent and was a commercial talent agent. I was really helping him like change, like build brands around celebrities. And so he was explaining to me what that meant. And then he said that he had a few fashion clients that I loved and said that he was working on building out their brands. And I just kind of told him that I was going to start working for him. <laughs> I mean, but I just knew in that moment, I was like, put me in coach, put me in coach. And I just showed up at his office on Monday and it. started <laughs> and just kind of started working with him and learning and it set me on a very, very different trajectory. Yeah. And there's two things that really stand out about this story. The first one is when I guess your now husband, boyfriend at the time told you just to meet other people, because even for me, I did not know what existed out there, right? Like similar to you, it's kind of like either my dad was telling me to be a lawyer forever. I ended up going into finance, but I was like, I didn't even know what else is out there. And I think you putting yourself out there, meeting different people, I've gone in every other job in that same exact way. So it's clearly like a proven formula. And then you find someone that you are excited about and what they're doing. And hopefully one person can give you a shot. But I so appreciate your you know, willingness to just kind of go to his office on Monday. And I think you even told him like, I don't want to get paid. I just want to be here. Right. Yeah. I just, I said, I don't care if you pay me. I didn't, it wasn't even, I just didn't, I just wanted to see it and learn it. And, and it was really, really, really compelling. You know, again, I think it's not dissimilar to what we were talking about earlier, which is like at the end of the day, a lot of these industries want people that have different experiences. I just didn't know that that was real. You know, when, even when I pivoted to fashion, people Mm -hmm. thought it was so cool that I was a lawyer. It wasn't like, Oh, why are you here? You're so not like us. I think that's just sometimes the story that we tell ourselves. And so putting myself out there, sitting with these people, trying to understand, you know, I think when you, and it goes back to the curiosity thing we talked about earlier, which is like, I'm genuinely curious about people. Mm-hmm. So anytime someone says you should meet someone, my answer is always like, okay, amazing, great. I would love to, because I think I learn from every single one of those interactions. And during that exploratory phase, you meet some of the people that become so impactful in your career down the road. Like some of those yeah. people that I met early on have been such a big part of my career that I would have never been able to imagine at the time. And yeah, I don't know. I think I, I would just sit and want, I was so curious about these jobs and these people and what they did. And I wasn't even asking them for a job, which made them want to sit with me even more. Because I think sometimes when you feel like when people feel like, oh, God, now I'm their headhunter, it's a bit harder <laughs> to get yeah. them to sit with you. But when you know, you're just meeting with someone in almost that mentorship setting, it's it's so much easier. Absolutely. And I mean, you mentioned so many questions I want to dig into, but let me start with this one. You mentioned, you know, we have all these stories that we tell ourselves, like I'm a lawyer, maybe I can't be in fashion or I'm a lawyer. Why would somebody in tech hire me? How did you get over those own narratives that might've shown up when you were kind of transitioning from law to, you know, eventually fashion? Just change your story. Yeah. I mean, I say this all the time. We're all storytellers, right? We all tell stories, whether we're posting on social media or anything, right? This we curate our lives in a very, very specific way. Again, whether we're conscious of it or not, the story that we tell about ourselves to ourselves is the most important story that we tell. And so it's really just taking a step back and looking at yourself objectively about like, 
you know, I've figured a lot of shit out and I'm a really nice person and people seem to like me. And, and when you take a step back and you look at the collective, you kind of see yourself in a different way. You know, there isn't, I think my whole career, I always thought that like, there were all of these people that knew everything that had all the answers. And then I was going to go to this company and everyone was going to be so much smarter than me and have so much more experience than me. And you kind of just learn that like, everyone's just figuring their shit out too, right? Like you go to this company and the CEO is like, I don't know. It's not like they don't have this magical power that you don't have. And I think that took me a very, very long time to understand. I think I've tried to really unpack this over the last few years too. I don't know if it started very young for me with this, like with the immigration and trying to fit in and the assimilation, but I always felt like I had to be perfect. I think some of that is cultural too, but this idea of like the vulnerability and honesty was so removed from the norm for us. And it was like, don't tell people your problems and don't tell people that you don't know how to do something and kind of fake it till you make it. That I didn't understand that some of my limitations were actually good, that, you know, the whole of me was really powerful. And I, you know, I, I don't know. I think it, again, it took a while for me to understand that, some of that imposter syndrome, you know, of like, oh, I should be here. I'm not just pretending like I fit in. Yeah. And I think for you to get to where you are today, it's really what you've done in terms of putting yourself in different and new situations because you evolve as a person, but also even earlier in your career, you realize what's out there and you see how are people reacting to you? What resonates with you? And I think when you're just doing your day-to-day job and you're not putting yourself out there, it just is a disservice to all the beautiful things that can come from your life, from your own personal growth, which looks like, you know, what you've gone through, I've personally gone through as well, as well as just so many amazing career opportunities that are out there for you. And I'm just so passionate about this because I feel like truly anyone can do anything. Like I really believe that to my core. If you are (laughs) optimistic, curious, you surround yourself with the right people. Like for me, relationships are huge, similar to you. You don't know that one person you met five years from now, how they'll cross your path 10 years from now, right? And as I'm getting older, it's just beautiful to see some of those relationships kind of flourish. So it's cool to see in so much of your journey, that's also the case. And I actually want to talk about, and the reason why I want to talk about your time working with Rachel Zoe, and you know, I was a big fan of the show. I remember you on there and I was like, I love that she's Persian. Amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. So cool. I've never seen anyone like else like that. I was like, dad, she's in fashion. I want to be in fashion too. He was totally against that for so long. But what I love so much about your time with Rachel, you said, you know, before you started working with her, I believe she was your client at the time, right? Because you ended up working with a, that talent agent that you met. Yes. So she was a client of his agency. That's right. And so and I was were, working on the licensing deals for her fashion collection. That's right. That's right. And I know at the time you admired her and you wanted to, maybe you didn't know at the time you wanted to work with her, but you said something that really resonated. You said, I just wanted to work really hard and make myself indispensable, right? And like, I just think it's powerful, especially now as a business owner, like anyone that can be in my orbit that is always adding value. It's like a no brainer in terms of getting them involved in the business or even in a corporate job. Like I've always thought that way too. How do I add value? So can you maybe just talk a little bit more about how you kind of got the job? Because I think it's so relatable to anyone really listening today, corporate or not. I mean, really, because, and this was what was helpful is I was an attorney. And so I had done licensing deals. And so when we started working, I mean, I I think she, you know, used to joke about just had she never met a fashion obsessed lawyer. And I always dressed kind of 
a little bit out there. And I think that we just started working together on the licensing deal. And then I was helping her build out some decks and thoughts. And we just really clicked her and her husband, Roger, were just so fun and smart and really entrepreneurial and just thought so big and had so much passion. And I always felt like I was bursting with passion. And so I just really gravitate towards that energy of really big, bright lights. And yeah, we just started working together. And once the deal was signed, they asked if I wanted to go in-house and help you know, launch the collection and some of the other businesses. And I was like, of course, obviously, I had no idea how to launch a fashion brand, but I was like, yes, I'll figure it out. And it was such an incredibly rewarding journey. You know, one thing you mentioned in terms of like, you have so much passion and that you gravitate towards people who have that. I feel that way sometimes. And sometimes I feel like I might be a little too much because when I get really into something, there's just a lot of energy. Do you ever feel like you're dimming your light a little bit if you are passionate about anything? Or have you now surrounded yourself with people who admire that and really support you on whatever journey that is? I think this goes back to that lesson I said I learned in fourth grade, right? Which is when you do the things that you love and a lot of the things that I did in service brought me towards the people that understand me because they, you have to be incredibly passionate to be an activist and to put your heart out that way. And I don't know. I don't, I think that anytime I felt like I dimmed my light, I felt incredibly suffocated. Yeah. And the more I've used my voice, it was very clear. And you know, when I started, I'm a voter. And it's funny because this kind of comes back to the conversation that we had earlier about like feeling like I always had to be perfect, which I think when you grow up and you feel like you have to be perfect and you're not supposed to share your problems, it's not very honest, I guess. Right. And there's very little vulnerability. And you kind of like, for me, I felt like I was a people pleaser and it was like, I, everyone had to think I was perfect. So I had to do whatever I needed to do for that person to think that I was perfect. And there was so much of me that I wasn't sharing because, you know, how would that impact the relationship? What would this person think of me? When I started, I'm a voter was the first time that I kind of like took all my insides, put them outside and just said like, this is me. These are my beliefs. This is what I stand for. And like, this is it. And I knew that that was going to turn off so many people. Like I knew that that would, that people would be in very strong opposition to my beliefs, friends, family members. And I actually felt empowered. It didn't scare me. I wasn't sad. I honestly didn't care about some of the people that I lost in my life because it brought so many more people into my life that are the people that have changed my life the most, that I love the most, that I couldn't imagine a day of my life without. But the vulnerability and finding my voice and like really sharing my story was so powerful. It really did like, that was one of the most, I think, life shifting pivots in my career. It was not even career stuff. It was yeah. the transition to stepping into my vulnerability. I love that. So you getting over your people pleasing, wanting to be perfect with so many people. I mean, I deal with that all the time and I'm trying to shift away from that. So what really helped you just to reiterate was you just honoring who you are, showing up as your vulnerable self and your full self. And that kind of got, and it was so much more beautiful on the other side that people that might have not been in your life or whatnot, it didn't even matter. So you kind of didn't care about people pleasing anymore because you felt so fully who you are. And maybe you didn't experience that ever before. It was so liberating. Like wow. I actually felt free. There was such a huge like weight that felt like it was gone. I felt so much stronger. I felt so much mm. more confident. I felt so much more empowered. 
And it opened up so many different doors to me that I would not have ever imagined before. So it, I don't know, it, I can't explain it enough, yeah. but it really was the biggest shift I ever experienced. Gosh, I wish that for everyone listening to just really like tap into their power and be authentically who they are. That is like the biggest gift I think anybody could have. So I know we've been talking about I am the voter. I'd love to maybe just start from the beginning. It seems like every time you have, I know you have two beautiful daughters. Every time you have a child, <laughs> it kind of allows you to like pause, reflect what you want to do. So tell me more. I know I'm fast forwarding a bit about you having your second daughter and really what the intentions around starting I am the voter um, was. After working with Rachel Zoe, I, I went to go work in tech for a couple of years. And that was really, it was amazing for a lot of reasons, but in very difficult for other reasons. And I think it also, I felt even more restricted, which is why the, lib, the, the very free feeling was so important to me. When Trump won the election, I had like a full crisis. I think partially because of how hard it was for me to see someone who behaved that way in the White House. I remember going to DC as a little kid and just thinking like, this is the most amazing, powerful place. And clearly there's a lot that our country does wrong and can improve, but I really believed in the promises that our country made and its potential. And it really, I was so deeply impacted by that election. And I, you know, and you know, when I fast forward a few months to when the child separation thing happened, I, I got on a plane, I went to, Texas, I came back and I started taking a lot of different meetings. You know, at that point, I'd been sitting on a bunch of different boards and worked as an advisor to a lot of different brands. And I was like, okay, all of these skills that I have, I'm going to apply it to helping advance whatever's happening in politics. So I met with a few different senators, a bunch of con people in Congress, and just asked questions. Why is your messaging like this? Why don't you want to do this? And now why aren't you tapping into this? And where's your strategy? You know, and all of the things that I've learned on the consumer side of the world. And I think a lot of them looked at me and were like, oh, yes, we know that we need this help. But didn't necessarily understand how the integration would happen. But every single one of those meetings, they said, if you really want to have real systemic change, we need to increase voter turnout. And I just felt like, what are you talking about? Who's not voting? Why aren't they voting? And, and then I just went home and I, and obviously I, I love data, you know, tech. And I came home and I started looking at the numbers. And when you see how many young voters didn't participate in the elections and you saw like women and all of it, none of it made any sense to me because coming from the consumer side, you know, I looked at how, like how many Marvel movies do we launch a year and people think their lives are going to change or like how many mascaras have we launched a year between me and my friends and, you know, immediately got people excited to show up and place pre-orders. Like, how are we yeah. not getting people this excited about the opportunity to participate in something that could have like such a profound impact on themselves, on every issue that they care about, regardless of what issue they care about. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like something wasn't clicking. Like we weren't explaining this to people. Like there's this amazing gift and no one even knows it's available. You know what I mean? Like, hello guys, there's a really cool thing here. Like you should know about it. And so I emailed about like 20 women that I have worked with in my career that I think are the absolute best in what they do and, you know, entrepreneurship, marketing, you know, huge publicists for talent, films, brands. And I asked if they'd all meet on Sunday. We all got in a room and, you know, I just kind of looked at everyone. And I think I really, it wasn't even about the nuances of voting. It was mm -hmm. really, you know, we are the publicists for voting. Like we are here to get people excited. How do we get them to wait in line in November? Like how do we build that level of enthusiasm and that level of FOMO? How do we bring 
everything that we've learned in building films and TV shows and, you know, fashion brands into this. And so I think the fact that all of us came from such different backgrounds that had nothing to do with politics, and then CAA kind of joined as a co-founder and Natalie Tran, who, who runs the foundation there. And I think, you know, everything that they brought to the table was obviously tremendous. And I think everyone on the team. And so it, we kind of, I think my my vision for this was always that this would feel like a community service project. Like what happened, you know, with all of these amazing relationships that we've built and all of this access that we have, if we each put it all in like one pool. And, you know, I think I had that like, is it going to work? I, I don't know. There were so many fears that would happen like at night when I would go to bed, but it also felt so much bigger than me, you know, and every, it just kind of worked. Like everyone showed up, like it really wasn't even me. It was like the doors just kept flying open. And that's kind of when, you know, you're on the right path. I would email all these people like, Oh my God, they're going to think I'm crazy. And every single person was like, Oh my God, thank you. No one has asked me. I would love to help. And here I have this and I have this and I have this, and you should talk to this person. And it just was magic. And honestly, like the work was so profound and so moving and so impactful, but also the idea that I could sit with 20 women that I love the shit out of around like with a couple of cheese boards and some wine doing something that we're all passionate about was also just so rewarding. And so mm-hmm. I don't think had you asked me, I don't know, four and a half years ago, if I am a voter would be as big as it is. It wasn't even about that. Like, I don't think any of us knew. I don't think any of us even set out to start an organization. I think we just felt like this is an incredible moment and we have to meet this moment and we have to do it in a way that no one ever has. And I think we did deliver on that. And I think through the process, there was so much that we all learned and so much that we gained and has been an incredible experience. I love it. You know, I know what you said. Sometimes you have this idea and it turns into something bigger than you expected. And that's kind of like the universe telling you you're on the right path. You're on to something. So it's cool to see that I am the voter is even bigger than your wildest dreams starting out. I'm curious, you mentioned, you know, in those early days when you were launching, you had fears at night. Maybe do you remember what some of those fears were starting out? I've always been the person that like never had birthday parties because I thought no one would come. <laughs> Same. So I, you know, despite the fact that these amazing people had assembled, I was so worried about putting it out into the universe. Like, what if this fails? What if I just brought all the smartest, most successful people that I know, and then this whole thing tanks? What if no one cares? What if no one votes? What if no one? It was all these like what ifs in could not have been further from the reality. You know, I just kind of had to like trust the process. And, you know, one one of my other co-founders, Tiffany Bensley, is you know, the godmother to my kids, my best friend, like the most talented human I know. And I would just do these, her and, and Raina from DBA, we would have these phone calls and I would just call and be like, what if this and what if that? And I'm freaking out. And, you know, and they were always like, Madonna, it's going to be great. Like, you know, just trust the process, trust the team, trust your gut. You know, we all believe in you. You have to believe, you know, and you know, sometimes that's just like why community is so important yeah. because I think all of us have these moments of doubt and I quit my job to do this. So I think for me, and I did, I'm a voter pro bono for four years. So mm-hmm. it was really like, this was everything. And then during the process, Deb and I did the dissenters. And I think that also just like opened up our voice and this journey of activism, you know, and what that means and what that community looks like. It was a lot at once, but it was, I think till now the probably what we'll always be the most proud of. And I think the most rewarding time. And even now, like we still have our meetings and it's the most fun. 
And I don't think any of us can believe it. Like we always look at like our deck and we're like, how did that happen? <laughs> you know, which is cool. It is fun. It's cool. You know, you're also doing this again in terms of reimagining and bringing your skills from a different industry to revamp something. And it's wild to hear. I think, was it about like 80 million in 2020 or 2022 who didn't vote in the midterm elections? I mean, those are crazy, crazy stats. And, you know, some people get really discouraged by that. And I look at that and I just think opportunity. Like, oh my God, just think of how much impact you can, there's so much room for impact. And so, you know, our organization's completely nonpartisan. Um, We work with hundreds of brands and influencers and communities around the country. And it's just like meant to be a very inclusive, inviting space. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we've tried to create all these tools for people to use so that people can host their own registration drives or within their companies, outside their companies. And so kind of taking something that wasn't always accessible to everybody and trying to figure out how to bring that more into like mainstream consciousness. And because of our work, it was really bridging like culture with Mm -hmm. civic engagement. And I think we kind we really know our lane and we try very, very intentionally to stay in our lane. And there's so many amazing organizations that do so many other things on programs and on the groundwork. And so we partner with them as much as we can. And it's been amazing. Like, and the people that work in the space are incredible. I, I truly just feel incredibly lucky. I love it. No, you guys have been doing a phenomenal job over the years. And I'm curious, are you doing this now full time? Or like, how big is a team at I Am The Voter? I know there's like different founding members, but what does the structure look like? Our team is about like 25 women and one man. It's amazing. I love it. EJ is mighty. I mean, we all work on this pro bono. I work on this probably like 50% of my time right now. And... EIF is our fiscal sponsor. Obviously, CA and DBA are huge partners in helping move this forward. And, you know, we're just kind of ramping up to what's yeah. next year, which is kind of a lot. <laughs> I was just gonna add, that was my next question. I mean, I get, you know, with 2024 coming up, I cannot believe we're already, we're already in 2023. But what's kind of keeping you busy? I'm sure your hands are quite full right now. But anything that you could share that is exciting or interesting that you're focused on? Yeah. I mean, we're really just working through some fundraising right now for the organization and building out, I mean, really how we meet the moment next year. I think the world feels very different than when we started. And I think we're taking a ton of meetings and brainstorms. And part of what's been amazing about this whole idea of like it being a community service project is everyone who works on the campaign does it pro bono. So we have eight PR agencies, like two law firms, financial agencies, like branding agencies that all donate their time and their resources to it. And so we've had so many additional amazing talent come to the table with really fresh ideas. That has also been so cool for us. So yeah, I don't know. So I think we're all big ideas so people. The so there's a lot of ideas. I think we're in yeah. the like, holy shit, which one do we vote? <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure it's all good stuff. And it's very cool, you know, having the best of the best in every organization kind of give their time on such an important initiative. So you guys are definitely making voting cool. I love all the education you guys are doing. You know, I actually, we might have touched upon this throughout the interview, but I'd love to get your perspective on what would you see are maybe one of the most proudest moments in your life, whether it's personal or professional, you know, maybe over the past few years, whatever kind of resonates with you. um, (laughs) Question. I think launching I'm a Voter, seeing it the first day, which was like a very unintentional launch, but it just kind of happened. And again, it just, that was crazy to put something that 
didn't exist before out into the universe was really beautiful. And then I think over the holidays, I went with my daughter to the White House for Hanukkah. And my daughter's eight and she's magical. And President Biden invited her on stage with my friend um, Noah Tishby's son to sit and, you know, just kind of observe. And then at the end, he came and shook her hand and she whispered something to him, which I was like, didn't understand. And then, you know, he came back and grabbed the microphone and asked for it to turn on and started telling the entire room full of people and press that Anderson, my daughter, had told him that she wants to run for president. And she asked him how he ran for president so that she could learn from him. And I just, you know, this like idea that I, it's just like, I just stood there and I was like, I fled my homeland for being Jewish. I somehow came to America and I ended up in the White House for a Hanukkah party with all of these rabbis. And my daughter is telling the president that she wants to be the president. And it just was like, how the hell does this happen in a lifetime? And that's crazy. I mean, I was so proud of her and she was so like not intimidated by the situation, which was so amazing. Yeah, and they had such a beautiful conversation on stage. So it was really like really moving. Oh my gosh, Monta and I'm like have goosebumps all over my body. That is so yeah, beautiful. Really cute. Oh my gosh, to see your daughters like that. And I mean, they have such an incredible role model like yourself. I'm curious, are there any practices that you do with both your daughters just in terms of like starting activism from a young age, right? You know, it doesn't even have to be political, just like in general, is there anything that you do with them? I'm just super curious. So yeah, I mean, ever since they were very, very, very tiny, every time, like every night before bed, we always say, you know, one act of kindness we did that day, one thing we're grateful for, and one person we want to send good wishes to. And I think the idea of thinking about kindness and gratitude as like a daily practice was really, really formative. I also just like include them. You know, when I go on these amazing, you know, when I like when I go places, when I'm exploring, like I try to bring them as much as I can. You know, that beautiful song, Badaya, that came out really early, you know, like I sat them down. I made them watch the video. I explained to them the song. This is where you were born. And this is what happened. You know, I include them as much as I can so that it is very much a part of their consciousness and just letting them know that, you know, you don't have to have, like, you can very actively participate as much as you want and as early as you want. So if there's something, you know, my daughter, we were driving one day and she saw an unhoused person living on the street and asked me what that was. And I explained it to her and, you know, she looked really sad. And I said, is there something you want to do about that Mm. um, to help this person? And she thought about it and then she told me, and then we worked on it at home. And then the next day we drove and handed the stuff to the, you know, and so I don't know, I try as much as I can just to honor whatever their feelings are but not forced on them. Cause I think there's is a, a right time for you to become conscious of my little daughter doesn't understand it. And I don't need her to yet. No, but that's so beautiful. You just kind of keeping them involved and explaining them. I mean, that's huge. So I know we're coming up on time. I'd actually love to end with one question, you know, so much of your journey, I think, in all these different ventures, especially even now with I Am The Voter, your success has really come from working hard and truly trusting your gut. And I feel like people understand the hard work section, but trusting your gut is such a unique muscle you need to build. That's something I'm still learning kind of as I'm getting older in my own journey. Do you have any words of wisdom of any woman who's listening today in terms of how they can really tap into their gut and really show up with, you know, who they are as their authentic selves? 
I think that our gut is our strongest asset. You know, it's funny. I'm reading this book right now by Dr. Shafali about conscious parenting. And it's all about how to teach your kids to listen to their gut from the minute they're born, because it is our North Star. It is what's going to guide us through every single pivot in our entire lives. And I say that as someone who's like not excellent at it all the time. And I think that's why community is helpful. I think sometimes you just kind of need the people in your life that know how to pick you up and push you in the right direction when you but I think you always know, you know what you want and you know, and sometimes it's like my husband will say, you know, commitment is freedom, just commit and then move that thing forward. And you'll know in that moment how that feels. You'll either feel like incredibly relieved or like all of your insides start to crumble. And so I've kind of learned to, I know it sounds so weird. It took me forever to pay attention to how I feel. Yeah. I did not learn that as someone who was growing up. And that's so powerful. Gosh, I did not learn that at all. Again, I don't know if it's like a cultural thing, but just really honoring how you feel. Even tapping into my gut is something I'm just learning in the past like four or five years. What does that look like? How do I feel? But I love your husband's suggestion of commit and make the decision because if you're not sure, once you commit, you'll know instantly, oh, I don't like this or, oh, this is amazing versus just sitting there and not really knowing what your gut is like and maybe what the next step is, if that makes sense. But I love the fact that- Yeah, I think some of that is like rooted in this idea that we think there's a right answer and there just isn't always most times. And so I was always like, but I need, I don't, I don't have enough information. I need to, what's the right one? And you realize like there isn't a right one. That was the hardest thing for me to learn. Yes. Oh, I love that. That's so true. Especially people like who are always looking at data. It's like, no, there has to be a right decision. Sometimes it's like, there's no right decision. You just got to go and figure it out as you go and pivot. So, but it's true. It was such a pleasure having you on. I'm so excited about everything that you're up to. And it was such a joy having you here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind Her Empire. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean the world to me if you would consider leaving a review or even sharing this episode with someone who might be inspired to create their own empire. To stay updated on new episodes or join our private community, visit BehindHerEmpire.com to sign up. We send inspiring and short emails every week to your inbox. I'll see you next week. And until then, remember, you're always in charge of your own destiny and it's never too late to start your own empire.